and this is six year graduation. Wait, eh. And this is six year graduate. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let's do it. All right. Hey, hey, and welcome back to Personal Finance from the Hilltop, PFFTHT, as we like to call it. It's a mouthful either way. I'm your host, Kyle Hill. Today is part two of our Laying the Foundation mini-series, and we have a special guest, Mike Zung of Java Wealth on with us today. Mike is a certified financial planner and owner of Java Wealth a fee-only financial planning firm here in the Kansas City area. With that, here's my interview with Mike. All right. Today on our second episode of Personal Finance from the Hilltop, we have a special guest with us, Mr. Mike Zung. Mike, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right. All right. You look good. Oh, thanks. I I feel great. (laughs) Been working out during the COVID season? (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, like, yeah, actually, as far as the working out part goes, you know, before everything shut down, I thought that, that it's like, you know, if I only had more time, then I'd, then I'd work out more. But then COVID has, has made me realize that lack of time is not my reasoning for not working out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you, man. I, my excuse is kids. I just, I just put it on the kids. So, um, so you are a certified financial planner professional and, uh, owner, founder, financial planner. What do you call yourself of Java wealth? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I'm the, yeah, like a a CFP. Yeah. I I call myself a financial planner. I don't know. I like that better than financial advisor for, for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, so I founded my firm, uh, Java Wealth Planning, uh, a couple of years ago. Um, and the reason for the name is because I'm actually a career changer where I used to be in software development and I was a Java developer for uh, 19 years. And so I did development and management and architecture and all of that. So, so but yeah, I've, I, I recently switched and left the corporate world and I'm doing this full time now, and it's fantastic. So you're like smart. You're talking about a lot of things I don't know or understand. I, I, I can, I can, uh, I can, I can talk the talk, but it's mainly just being able to Google stuff. <laughs> so, well, cool, man. Um, so yeah, we're we're both uh, um, part of XY Planning Network, and that's kind of how we know each other. And you're here locally in the Kansas City area. Um, so before we dive into our topic for today, figured I would uh, start off with what was formerly known as the lightning round, but I kind of destroyed that um, <laughs> last, last last episode um, with David. So uh, I'm just going to call it, either, you get a vote on this, I guess, five for five or five minutes of fluff. I kind of prefer the latter. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think I'd probably go for five for five. Five for five. Okay, because yeah, you know, like it's it's not just fluff. This there there could be some meaty information in this. Five minutes of fluff, it is. All right, Mike. So starting five minutes of fluff here. We're on the clock. Kept. Um, you're a soccer coach for your kids, right? I am. 
Yeah. What? Uh, so, what's your favorite sports team? My favorite sports team is Liverpool Football Club. It's an English uh, English soccer team. Uh, it's it's just so so the the story behind it is that um, so I played soccer basically my whole life, and in college, the our college team had. Um, you know, so we we anytime that we'd win a game, we would we would we would sing a song in the locker room, and the song is called "You'll Never Walk Alone," and that's and and that's Liverpool's uh, theme song essentially. Before every match, they the the whole crowd sings it, and it's the most beautiful song you'll ever hear. Awesome! I don't know anything about soccer, so uh, I was always into football because there was too much running in soccer for me. So. Yeah, um, and only one person could play goalie, and it wasn't me. Uh, where did you go to college? I didn't know you played soccer in college. Yeah, uh, yeah, I went to uh, Truman State University up in Kirksville, Missouri. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Uh, so no, uh, no uh, MLS, MLS, right? No MLS. Yeah, MLS. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll watch. I'll watch sporting. Going to sporting games is a lot of fun. The sporting Kansas City games. Um, but I, I'll, I'll fully admit that I've, I have not been able to get into watching MLS a lot. I try, okay. Yeah, I, tr- huh. I try not to act like I'm I'm snotty, but maybe I maybe I am snotty <laughs> whenever it comes to soccer. Uh, we'll have we'll have to talk about it another time. So, right. Um, all right, my favorite sports teams: K State Wildcats. Kansas State Chiefs, Kansas State Royals, and my fantasy football teams. <laughs> um, you play fantasy at all? Uh, I I used to actually. I was just talking to another person where I I was in fantasy all the fantasy sports for the longest time, but then I was I would just kind of drift away, and my team would just be awful, and so I've I've since retired from fantasy football. We might have to get an advisors league going. So. Yep. All right. Uh, favorite food. Ooh, favorite food. I would have to go for a Philly cheesesteak. And and na- namely the Philly cheesesteak from Grinders down in down in the Crawfords. Yep. With both cheese whiz and the and the provolone cheese. You're getting down to the details here. <laughs> I was just gonna say barbecue and Chinese food. Right. Um, even though I don't particularly eat meat anymore so uh it's kind of sad so um yeah yeah my wife made me made me watch uh the china uh, not not the china study it's uh the documentary that's based off that forks over knives on netflix and then my father uh when i was in college passed away of a heart attack and so um when he was 53 and so it's kind of a you know, I want to be around to bother my kids for a long time, so I figured it was kind of a health choice that I make, and uh, but I still love barbecue and Chinese food. So, oh yeah, but anyhow. Um, so, kind of going with what we're going to talk about today, what's the last debt you paid off? The last debt I paid off, yeah, would have the last debt that I had would have been our car. Back oh, okay. in 2000, oh, we, we just moved here. It was 2006. We paid off, uh, yeah, yeah. We we paid off our, uh, um, our uh, man. It was a Subaru Forester. Oh, okay, okay. Yep. 
It's kind of the boxy looking one. Okay. Yep. My wife's been interested in Subarus lately. So, um, yeah, that was a great car. So, so ours was uh, a student loan. So I figured that's what you're going to say, but yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. There was that too. My wife had some student loans left over from grad school. Yeah. That's what, that's what we had. So, um, we actually, so that was, uh, 20, 2018, summer 2018. Um, so, you know, going through the Dave Ramsey process, um, when you're in step two, getting out of that, he tells you to press pause when, when, you, when you're expecting. And so we had everything ready to go. And then we found out we were expecting our second and I'm like, we're right here. And so, uh, um, I always get caught up on this. Well, how long did it take you? And, um, I'm like, well, we had it when ready to pay off when we knew that our second child was coming, but then we had to press pause for like a year. And right. so, we, so we, we actually went to Nashville to do our debt free scream on, on Dave Ramsey show. And so, oh, uh, you did. so yeah. So when I was, we were talking about that, I, yeah, I'm not made for camera. <laughs> voice only so, that and i was trying not to cry because uh he was kind of like father figure to me yeah over over the podcast i don't know so, oh man I, I i've listened to many episodes of that and so i've i've heard many debt free screams so who knows maybe i maybe i actually heard you and i didn't realize that yeah you're like who's this wacko so, <laughs> um yeah no it's it was it was an emotional experience for me um, I know that sounds weird, but just when you're going through that process, you know, slugging away and, and uh, making sacrifices, it's uh, and you hear all those people doing it, it's motivate doing their debt free screams. It's motivation for you. Yeah. And it's like you want you want that you want to be there to do that. And we did it. And um, our <laughs> we had car trouble on the way. And so we had to Uber there. <laughs> we're lugging our kids car seats around their campus i mean it was just like fitting for the moment but yeah. oh wow but we had our emergency phone so we're good right but, uh so yeah um i've already destroyed our five minutes of fluff but um <laughs> what is your best pet name so for for pets that you've had what's been the best name um, so the first one that comes to mind is a cat that we used to have when, that I had growing up and it was an all black cat and we named it Chinwa the Ninja Cat. Chinwa? Yep. Is, uh, is that a specific person or? No, I, I, I don't, you know, I don't know how we came up with that name, but, okay. but yeah, we had, we had a lot. So there was that one and then there was also, oh man. So we maybe we'll cut this part out, but there's another cat that we had that we named it Sexual Chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So it's for for all the coming to America fans. That was uh that was the name of one of our cats. We we like to be uh pretty pretty creative with our cat names or with our with our pet names. That's awesome. Was, yep. So was that uh, when you were growing up, or was that as an adult? No, that was still whenever I was growing up. Okay, okay, I, still, okay. I think I was in you know junior high or something. Whenever, okay. whenever we got, whenever we got sexual chocolate. <laughs> well, at least at least it wasn't a dog. Because if it's a dog, you're screaming out the back door, "Get in here!" So that'd be a little right. weird. <laughs> I, I'm still, I still have to do that these days. So. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if I can top sexual chocolate, but uh, <laughs> so we had a dog. Our uh, my wife got to name our first dog, so I got to name our second dog, and his name's Charlie Gibson after the NBC nightly news anchor. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. I you know wanted to be creative with it, and um, we just call him Charlie. But really, his uh, his vet records show Charlie Gibson. So oh, I got. I'm I'm sure there's not many other other pets that are named after NBC's news anchors. So. Yeah, well, I so I got the idea from when I was interning um, for uh, minor league baseball team. Um, one of the guys that I was interning with, I think he was joking, but it, it sparked the idea that he named his dog Tom Brokaw. Okay, I was like, okay, I like right. it. Like it. And then I, in college, I used to watch Charlie Gibson and he always left me with this good feeling. Not, yeah, don't get that anymore with the news, but, uh, but, but yeah. So I was like, yeah. So I went with Charlie Gibson. All right. So, but again, not, I don't think it tops sexual chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) Which, so uh, last question, kind of a long, no. So last question, ask everyone, what would your walk-up song be? My walk-up song? So I would say it would be, um, so, so there's a song, it's, it's called I Turn My Camera On by Spoon. I don't know if you've ever seen um, oh, the movie uh, Stranger Than Fiction with Will Ferrell. Oh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's, there's a, so, so that, that song just has a real good, real good beat to it and real good strut to it. So that, that would be, that'd be my, my answer. Okay. I'll have to look it up afterwards. I don't want to play it now and get sued by them. So, right. <laughs> uh, no royalty free music there. Right. Uh, so I, um, I said mine changes by the day. So I think today it'd be sexy and I know it by MFAO. Yep. Yeah. I mean that part where it's like, look at that body. Look at that body <laughs> out. Not so much. Not right. Really. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I actually, and I, I listened to your, your, in that previous episode where you were talking about the Taylor Swift stuff. I yeah. do have to admit that the new Taylor Swift, which you said you don't really like so much. It's, it's almost exclusively what I've been listening to lately. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So that's all right. That's all right. So I like, I like, uh, not necessarily her older stuff. Um, I guess it's kind of more new to me cause I, my, I don't listen to the radio anymore, but right. uh, so I don't know any of the new songs, but, yep. um, but yeah, that's what happens whenever you get older. You just, you just lock into, you know, your, your quote, cool years. Uh, yeah. like, this is the music that I'm going to listen to for the rest of my life now. Yeah. All my, uh, all my music on my phone is from like college. Yep. That I legally, legally downloaded. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, I don't know. But hey, we can both like T Swift. Right. Okay. There's, uh, there's, there's common interest. So, <laughs> all right. So, uh, five minutes fluff might have to be 10 minutes now. Right. Um, minutes. We'll work on, yeah. We'll work on cutting that down in the future. Uh, but it's fun. I like it. Yeah. So today we are, we're uh, doing part two of this, what I'm calling a mini series of laying the foundation 
to start the personal finance from the Hilltop podcast. And it's um, what I what I view as the foundational building blocks for developing a successful personal financial plan and making it work. And so our first episode was about budgeting. I think that's the cornerstone um, of the whole financial planning process. If you can't get that under control, the financial plan is not going to work. Right. Right. Um, but, but there's, there's other pillars, if you will, that I feel are, are uh, important to the foundation. And so what I want to talk about today is the concept of getting out of debt and, and why get out of debt, why getting out of debt is crucial to building a successful financial plan. And so just kind of start here with, uh, not to get uh, uh, biblical here, but a, a quote from from Proverbs twenty two seven says, "The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender." I think that's a pretty powerful statement about what debt is. It it enslaves you to the person that is lending you the money. Um, and when we talk about building. Um, a financial plan for you. I always frame it as developing a plan to financial independence and freedom. Um, I want to build a plan so you have the freedom to live the life that you want to live, the lifestyle that you want to live, and be independent and not be dependent on someone else. And and when you mix debt into that, um, it takes away your freedom and your independence. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, definitely as far as, so, so yeah, so I used to, um, you know, I, I've, I've uh, facilitated a lot of, of the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University courses, and, and he's very, you know, he'll quote this all the time as far as, you know, just, and, and it is a very powerful statement. And yeah, and I mean, it's just something where whenever you have these debts, then, any money that comes in is already spoken for. And, you know, you have all these obligations that essentially once you're in debt, then you don't really have, you're, you're, you're limited on the choices that you have because they all, they're, they're already assigned to, to the, to the lenders. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're getting something today for pieces of your future income. Right. For a period of time, and so it's like you said, your your future income, a portion of that is spoken for when you when you use debt. And, right. Uh, you know, the more the more debt you take out, the more it, it amplifies that um, and reduces the margin in your budget to be able to do other things. And so, um, and so we we both uh, have led his financial peace university course. Um, I've led it for a handful of years at my church. And I think you said you've done the same. Mm-hmm. Um, just this disclaimer, this isn't a promotion of his products or anything. It's just, we've been through that process and it, it worked for us. So, right. Yeah. We are, we are not, we're not tied in any way to, to Dave Ramsey. We don't want to be uh, held liable for anything. We are not getting paid to say this. Right. Yeah. That too. <laughs> So, um, but no, it, it, it worked for us and, um, I think it's, it's worked for millions of households to be honest. So if you listen to this show, you have people calling all the time. 
you know, saying they're doing the process and it works for them and yeah. all the debt-free screams that they do on their show. Um, myself, you know, my family, we made the, the nine hour journey, uh, nine hours driving. I think it probably turned into like a 12 or 13 hour drive with the kids with all the stops, but, um, that's neither here nor there. But, uh, so let's, let's talk about just what types of debts are out there. Um, because just so everybody knows, you know, what those are. And I think kind of the basic idea is anything that you make a payment on is a debt, right? right. So anything from credit cards to student loans is a big one with, with our generations. Um, you millennial or Gen X? Um, I'm right on the cusp. I'm, you know, I'm, I, so I was born in 79. So I, I claim to be more Gen X. Yeah. Because that, that's, that's more of what I feel like I identify with. You know, more of the, the grunge, Pearl Jam era of, of, of people. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but student loans, you know, big one for, for our generations and um, auto loans, personal loans, um, mortgages, hospital bills, business loans. I mean, anything else that you can think of. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, that definitely covers all the big ones. You know, a lot of people, whenever they think of debt, then that they immediately just go to credit card debt. Yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of the big one. Um, but, but yes, yeah, Student, student loans, the student loan crisis has gotten crazy. Um, just, the, just the, the level of student loans that are out there now, it's, it's become a really big problem and has really hindered a lot of people from being able to, to really get going. You know, yeah. like I work with people that they're in their thirties and forties and, you know, they, they still have their, you know, they still have their student loans and, you know, it's almost some, some of them with student loans, you, you get kind of almost this emotional attachment to them. It's like, Oh, I've, I've I had this for so long. I, you know, I almost don't want to get rid of it. Lives in the spare bedroom in the, in the house. Right. Yeah. yeah Sally May, Sally May's a tenant. Right. Um, but we pay her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, student loans is an interesting thing. Um, it's it's a big issue. I don't remember, I I didn't look up the recent tally, but it's you know, over a trillion dollars of yeah. student loan debt that's out there. And you know what's the solution? I, I have my own personal opinions about that, but um, the problem I see with student loans is you, and I think this is the problem with debt in general is a lot of times we don't think about the downside risk. Right. And so we go to college and we take out a student loan with the anticipation that we're going to graduate and get a degree. But I, I was looking recently and between private and uh, public universities, um, and this is the six year graduation rate, not even four years. Um, that the graduation rate was roughly 60%. For, oh. for public universities, it was under 60. For private universities, I want to say it was around 66%. So we'll, we'll ballpark it you know, between the two, say it's about 60%. So nobody goes to college with the mindset of, I'm not going to graduate. Right. And I think same is true for those that take out student loans. It's, this is the, why else would you take them out if, if, if you don't have intentions of graduating. And so, but right. with the, the statistics, it shows us, well, only three out of five people do actually graduate, but 
100% of people that take out student loans have student loans when they come out. And so they went to the, they went to college, they didn't get a degree and they left with student loan debt. Right. So, um, they're not more marketable in the job market because they don't have the degree that they were going after, but then they're, they're strapped down with this additional burden of student loans and making these student loan payments. And so that's, that's why, um, you know, I had a little bit of student loans and, um, we had student loans for, um, for graduate, for my wife's graduate school. Um, but, uh, that's kind of why I've come to realize maybe there's some better ways to go about this. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. 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 With, with student loans, I mean, we could do a whole other episode just on student loans for sure. Um, but yeah, the quick, quick version from my perspective is that it's one, it's been normalized that it, it's just like it, everyone takes out a student loan. And, and so people don't think about that too much to the, we're, we're asking 18 year olds to make pretty big decisions. Um, and then also, and, and, you know, think of, you know, I know whenever I was 18, I wasn't exactly the wisest person. I wouldn't have given my 18 year old self alone either, man. Right. It's a yep. normal, a normal lending process. You go through underwriting and you, they determine your credit worthiness, right? right. We talk about how do I build up my credit with student loans? It's you apply and you know, you basically get it. Right. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then it kind of gets to, that it's also very easy for parents to sign for the loans, for the parent plus loans. Um, and then it's backed by the government and not bank, you can't bankrupt it. So from the lender's perspective, there's no risk to, to, to what you're saying as far as the underwriting process. There's, there's not a lot of risk that the lenders are taking on by giving out these student loans. So, so there, there, there's all sorts of factors that are driving up, driving, driving it up. And, and so it's from, from our perspective as, as planners and parents, it's just being, being thoughtful and educated whenever we're going through the process and helping clients go through the process to where you think about how much you're possibly going to be taking out and then how much you plan on making on the other side of it to where you can actually pay it off. And it'd be, it'd be a worthwhile investment. Man, my 18 year old self thought I was going to be making six figures. I thought, I thought that degree was like magic fairy dust. I didn't fly. Um, so it, I, I think getting parents involved in, in setting realistic expectations with kids, uh, educating them before they go get educated. Uh, yep. I, I think is what we need to do a better job of, um, you know, and, um, and like you said, we could do a whole episode on student loans and what kind of getting into the paying off debt. What is your thoughts on the, on the, uh, uh, public service loan forgiveness options? Um, so I, I, I think if, if it's available, I, I think it's definitely something worth looking into. Um, you know, because on on one hand, if it's if you have a very large sum, then then getting that forgiven can definitely help. On the other hand, it that can take a long time and it can weigh on you for a long time as well. 
So if you have the ability to just bear down and pay it, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't put all of my hope into the public loan forgiveness. You mean you wouldn't put all your hope in the government? <laughs> I, I didn't say that. I don't want to get into. <laughs> I'll say it. I'll say it. That's. Um, I'm, it depends where you are at in that payment process. Yeah. But generally speaking, we're we're talking about ten years, right? Yep. One hundred and twenty consecutive payments. I just don't want somebody to be in debt that long and bank on someone else keeping their promise. Right. Um, and and that, that's my big issue with it because, you know, we're at the end of the 10 year period of we're starting to see the first wave of, of those uh, applicants coming through. And when they originally, the first um, applicants that came through the um, PIA, public service loan forgiveness program, um, the uh, approval rate was like less than 1% or, or, yeah. And I think they're getting better at ironing out the details for the program, but it's just, I don't want my fate, my financial future, um, which affects my life being in, in the hands of the government right. um, and some politician keeping their promise. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone else who made it years ago. Um, I just, you know, right. My libertarian streak there. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, sense. I mean, yeah, you know, it's, it's just, if you have, so, yeah, I mean, if, if you have the, if you have the, the, the resources to take control of it yourself, then just do that. Because, you know, I'd say there's, there's a lot of stuff about, financial planning and all of this that is a math problem, but then there's stuff that is just a psychological thing where you just want to, you just don't want to be under that weight anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of along those lines. What I tell um, individuals I'm working with clients, prospects uh, with the financial plan, we're going to develop this plan but I can guarantee you that it's wrong, right? I can guarantee you 100% is wrong because we're making all sorts of assumptions and there's right. a wide time window for things to change and adjust. And so when you're looking at the loan forgiveness options, it's things don't always go according to plan and things change. And so that, that's kind of why I, I, I tread cautiously around that. Right. But, uh, so. But yeah, um, so kind of moving on, auto loans, we talked about, you know, I'm not a big fan of buying a brand new car uh, because mm-hmm. it, it's uh, not an investment. Um, right. If your investments with me dropped, what is it, 60% in the first four years or 30% in the first two years, uh, right. you would uh, be banging down my door to get your money back. But right. we feel that way about cars. Cars are, are not an investment. Um, right. The depreciating asset. And so when when you take out a loan, um, you're, you're paying for something that's going down in value. It's um, and kind of how I phrase it. And, and there's some um, that, that's just a general statement. Right. If you have a couple million dollars, go buy a new car. I don't care. Right. But if it's somebody that we're talking about who's 
trying to get their financial plan on track, you shouldn't be buying a new car. You shouldn't be financing one because one, if you're buying a new car, you're you're pay you're overpaying and it's going down in value rapidly. And so the best the best and you're not getting the best deal on it, right? When you use cash, you have the leverage. When they are giving you the money to buy their product, you don't have the leverage in that situation. Right. Um, and so, you know, we always recommend buying a used car or in the car industry, a pre-owned used car. <laughs> right. Sounds that. nicer. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I always tell people, a car is to get you from A to B, you know? Right. Yeah, but unless unless you ask my eight year old son, then he he just wants a Bugatti. So oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so my son's the same way. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, it's to get you where you want to go, right? And yeah, comfort is is something. But you can go find a nice pre owned car, CarMax, Carvana, you know, whatever. Yep. Find one, find one online. I mean, you can find something um, at a reasonably price and pay cash for it and uh, get a deal on it. So, yep. um, and then just, I, I think those are kind of the big ones and then mortgages, um, you know, that's really the only asset that we, that we take a loan on, um, that goes up in value as right. long as we buy smart. So that's, that's kind of where there's wiggle room to where it might make sense to take out a mortgage to buy a house, um, right? you know, so, um, and so we're, we're in this journey trying to build wealth to become financially independent. And there's a great book out there. Have you ever read The Millionaire Next Door? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I read The Millionaire Next Door a, a good while ago now, and it, it definitely stuck with me. It, it affected me. Um, actually, in, in the last, uh, at, at the last XYPN conference, I got to meet uh, Sarah Falau, who's the daughter of uh, Tom Tom the author. So it was pretty cool talking to her. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, she's, she's writing a revised, yeah. uh, the next millionaire next door, I think. Yep. Is what it's called. So yeah, I saw her, um, as well, but, uh, the, the subtitle is the surprising secrets of America's wealthy. And so there's seven key characteristics that are, that he lays out that, most millionaires exhibit and you know this isn't your flashy you know p diddy or <laughs> I, I i was gonna say r kelly but i that probably would not be a good right. <laughs> um it's not your movie stars and this is your average person you know living down the street that's the millionaire next door and you don't know it yep right and it they in their studies they have there's some overlapping traits that they find. And um, I listened to the audio book and I need to go back and, and uh, reread it because it's a great book. And, and Dave, Dave Ramsey always quotes it. He has some, some key quotes about it, but you know, live well below their means is, is one of the things. And you can translate that into several different things of they tell their money where to go. They do a budget. Mm-hmm. They also don't utilize debt. Right. Um, other other uh, other characteristics, and I'm getting this off wealth caps, so I'll put it in there. But um, it's kind of a recap of the the book. Um, but efficiently use their time, energy, and money for wealth accumulation. 
three value financial independence over social status. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a key thing of they aren't going out and using debt to finance a brand new Tesla, even though I see that those are pretty sweet with their ludicrous speed. (laughs) <laughs> makes me kind of want to go test drive one. I don't know, but right. car fever, probably not a good idea. Um, but they, these are people that are buying used cars, pre-owned cars, what we're supposed to say. Mm-hmm. And they, they drive them for a long time. Um, four, they're not dependent on their parents. Once they're adults, Five, their kids are self-sufficient, so they're not paying for their kids. Um, six, they are talented at pursuing market opportunities. Seven, pick the right occupation for them. Um, and I think there's some reading between the lines there of uh, you can tie it back to kind of the student loans and going to college and uh, pick the right occupation. You know, they're they're. Uh, how am I not going to get in trouble for this? Um, so they're, they are, are picking a, a uh, educational pursuit that is marketable. Um, right. Rather than um, than uh, three. We'll go with what Dave says, German polka history. Right. His daughter says, uh, under basket, underwater basket, underwater weaving, basket weaving. That's left-handed puppetry. Yeah. And, and so our goal is to be wealthy and rich. Let's do what rich people do. Let's do what wealth people, wealthy people do. And it's, um, they avoid debt. They get out of debt. Um, there's this Forbes, um, this Forbes 400 list. And it's the list of the 400 wealthiest Americans, 400 of the wealthiest people in America, excuse me. And when they were surveyed, 75% of them, so basically 300 of them, say the most important thing to do is to get out of debt and stay out of debt. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think when we're talking about wanting to build wealth, we need to look at what wealthy people are doing. And if they're telling us, the most important thing to do is get out of debt and stay out of debt. I think we should probably listen to that. Yeah, yeah. I think a common misconception is that it's sophisticated to to kind of to to leverage yourself and to to do that to build wealth. So it's kind of you know you got to spend money to make money kind of mentality. Where 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 in in actuality, basically, if you have the flexibility of not having debt, then you're able to be more, be, be more selective in the things that you do and, um, you know, be able to kind of set your own, set your own course and not really be beholden to anything else. Right. And then to the, to the, to the point of just kind of what a millionaire looks like. So that's, that's something that I've, I've talked with, I've had some talks with, uh, high school groups before. Okay. And it's it's really it's really interesting to talk to them. And I ask the question of what does a millionaire look like? And you know they'll always they'll always jump to they have a really nice car. They you know they have all these all these things. But but from from the millionaire next door, how it how it shows that 
that the majority of them are very unassuming and you wouldn't really think that they are millionaires. You know, like you have, you have people who, you know, they were, they were just school teachers and they were smart with their, with their time and with their money. And then, and they stayed out of debt and you become millionaires. So it's, it's, it's just, it's just a really interesting, it's a really interesting dynamic to seeing what, people think of and what is what is actually the case yeah yeah um and they you know one of the things that people talk about is using debt as a tool mm -hmm. um and i i think it that gets back to not calculating the downside risk and assuming you know what the future holds right um and so that's one thing and then just the the status symbol, you see somebody driving down the street and, you know, a brand new, let's say Corvette will tone it down a little bit. Right. <laughs> um, brand new Corvette. And you're like, Oh man, but who knows? Maybe they financed the hell out of that thing. And compared to, you know, my car's paid off, you know, I, even though it's, you know, old and, um, I broke off the uh, the back end in the winter on accident, pulling the handle because the door was frozen. <laughs> Gorilla glue is amazing. Uh, don't tell anybody though. Uh, but uh, I mean, compare those two things. I have more equity with my car than that person that financed a brand new Corvette. Right. Right. Yep. It, it's kind of misleading. You never know what someone's financial situation has looked like. And so, you know, as the adage goes, don't judge a book by its cover. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a big key is just having, is being able to be content, having a level of contentment with, with what you have, right. And not always feel like you need to have more or something nicer. I mean, from a car perspective, I I kind of was at the point where I I was taking pride at how how bad my cars were, especially growing up. And you know my car in high school and college, the, those cars were they were beaters, but I loved them. Yeah, you know, the car the 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 car that I drove in high school it was a '79 Toyota Corolla. It was the first year that the Corolla came out, oh, and, nice. it, and it was like this primer gray color. And we called it the rat because it actually looked like a rat. <laughs> but but I I loved it. I don't I, I definitely was not in debt with that car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I I had a '94 uh, Buick Skylark. Called it the bird because the front of the grill looked like a bird beak. Um, uh -huh. But yeah, um, it was. Yeah, I think that that thing was a beast. It went off the road a couple times. We got a uh, hundred on a back road once and thought the engine was going to fall out. That was kind of scary. <laughs> cool too. Uh, uh, so, but yeah, kind of getting into what you were saying, it's, I think in this instant gratification culture, we want things and we want them now, Yeah. you know, with smartphones and Amazon prime, you know, next day delivery, same day delivery. It's, um, it's a challenge of, of, uh, contentment and in society today. And, and so I think, uh, um, that's one of the challenges, one of the hurdles, obstacles that we, we have to overcome. And it's, it's 
what is enough? In the financial planning world, I hear that talked about um, is what is enough for you? Right. And so defining what that is. And one of, one of the things is the, uh, the um, interest-free stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so like Nebraska Furniture Mart, you know, right. you finance your sofa for 18 months, interest-free. Um, you know, I did it when I was, before I, before I saw the light, if you will. Uh-huh. And uh, I mean, it, I thought I was gaming the system. You know, it's like, this is free money, right? I mean, I'm not paying any interest. I'm getting it now. And I know how many payments I need to make to have it paid off by the time, um, you know, the interest-free period's over. But going back to the risk part of it is I'm not calculating in the risk that is um, involved with that. Right. Uh, what if I lose my job in between and right. I can't afford those monthly payments? And, right. and so that. I think often gets left out. They'll sell you insurance for that though. <laughs> right. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it, but um, yeah. Yeah. A lot, a lot of those, a lot of the kinds of, I call them games that people play with, you know, like it's 0%. So yeah, it's free money. Um, you know, it's sure, but, but really at what, at, you know, how much are you really going to get ahead? You know, if you talk about this Forbes list, you know, they didn't become millionaires because they gamed Nebraska Furniture Mart's free, you know, zero percent interest rate. You know, so it's so it's just it's it it gets to the the part where it's like yes yes mathematically you might you know save a hundred bucks or something like that. Yeah. You know, if you if you dropped it into the an online savings account that will now get you you know 0.7 percent or something. Um, but, but it's, you know, it's just the, the psychological weight of it where you're a lot freer if you know exactly what you have going on and, you know, you just don't have this debt that you have to keep track of. Yeah. Yeah. One of those, uh, billionaires owns Nebraska furniture mart. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a little different. He's not taking advantage of his, uh, zero. He, I, I don't think if he's going to buy a couch, I think he's just going to buy it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, happy, happy birthday, Warren Buffett. 90 over the weekend or whatever. So, um, so, you know, we, we could, uh, spend all day talking about that. Um, so cut, I know people always talk about improving their credit score. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how obsessed our culture has become with that, because if right. you look at what the FICO score is made of, right. Uh, has nothing to do with your wealth. Right. Yeah, the, yeah, the FICO score, I mean, yeah, it, it really is just judging how much debt you take out and how well you can pay it off. Yeah. Um, but it, but it, there's no correlation to your net worth for, the, for your FICO score. Um, I mean, I, I, will, I will concede that there are some areas where your credit matters. Um, where where there's different things that are going to, going to check your credit, so I wouldn't say to just let it completely rot necessarily. No, um, not at but, all. But but it's not but it's it's not something to to really hang your hat on or brag about necessarily because it's not a real reflection of how well you can you can get ahead. You know, you're not going to 
be able to take that trip of a lifetime because your credit score was good. Yeah. Yeah. It's and I'm certainly not saying go out and tank your credit score. I'm saying right. don't let your credit score dictate your, your decisions and your life. Uh, right. Exactly. Like insurance, for example, when they, when they quote you on, you know, say your auto insurance, I know that's one of the factors that they use as, right. a, as a credit score. And that just, there's a correlation there that um, higher credit score, you're more likely to be a better driver. Right. The better driver you are, the less likely you are to have an accident, the less likely they have to pay out claims. And so um, they're going to reward you for that. But I'm not going to let that dictate, you know, I'm not going to you know, take out loans so I can improve my credit score. Right. So I can get a, a better rate on my auto insurance, you know? Right. So, um, but yeah, go, go, go to FICO's website, check out their, their score and see, uh, see how it's made up. There nothing has, has nothing to do with your wealth, you know? Right. Um, anyhow. So before we get into kind of the process for, for paying off debt, um, I know some people do uh, the credit cards for the points. Um, and some, some people, you know, just, think that debt is a way of life, that they'll always be in debt. And I think uh, both of us are kind of proof that you don't have to live a life of debt. I mean, we still right. have a mortgage on our house, but we have, you know, a substantial percentage of equity in the house and we're paying it down. Uh, but we don't utilize any other, any other forms of debt. Um, and so, uh, you know, not, not judging anybody, just saying that you can live a life without debt. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, as far as the, as far as the points go and the use of credit cards, I I've, I've definitely softened my approach compared to the, the, the Dave Ramsey never use credit cards, but I'm definitely hardline of you definitely never carry a balance on a credit card yeah. where, you know, if you can, if you can automatically have it, if you, if you can set it up to automatically pay off every month, then, then from, from my, per, you know, for clients that do that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not going to yell at you for that. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, not, not lifting the points as reasoning for doing something. Cause that was one thing that I was always, uh, you know, I was kind of hesitant of where I don't want to buy go out and buy a TV and then part of me actually is happy as far from the perspective of like, Ooh, I just spent a lot of money. So I got a lot of points. <laughs> so, so the points can just be like a, you know, some side benefit that happens to happen while you're budgeting and while you are spending within your means. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's, and I think that's a key point, spending within your means. I think, you know, they show studies, you spend more when you use plastic. Right. Um, teach their own. I'm not going to beat someone down about it. But if you're having trouble, you know, getting your budget under control, um, you know, cut out the credit card. I, you know, we haven't used credit cards for a number of years now and we've survived. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. Use debit card and um, I mean, we're, we're fine. So. So getting into the getting out of debt. Um, and, and so people ask, you know, how do I, how do I attack my debt? Do I pay off the highest interest first, the largest right. first? What's the process? Um, kind of the two big um, 
uh, ones that I've seen are the debt snowball and the debt avalanche. Mm-hmm. Um, the debt snowball being the one that they teach in Dave Ramsey's course. Um, again, this is not an infomercial for his course, <laughs> uh, but it's just something that worked for us. Uh, not to speak for you, but it worked for, for our family. Yeah. Um, but the, the debt snowball is where you take all your debts, um, less your mortgage, put your mortgage aside, take all your debts, um, put them smallest to largest. And, uh, and then, um, that's your payoff schedule and you make the minimum payments on all the debts. And then the, the smallest debt that's at the top, you attack that with intensity with as much out of your budget that you can throw out of it. Right. And then once that gets paid off, you roll that down into the next minimum payment. And so you have a larger payment and it's, it's like a snowball. It builds up and um, got a resource uh, from his website. We'll include it in the show notes that has a sheet where it shows you how to do it. Um, it's pretty simple, but, um, but yeah, what, what are, what are your thoughts about that? What? Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, as far as the debt snowball goes, um, I know it's not the, so whenever we compare the debt snowball versus, um, paying off the highest interest one first, um, the, the debt snowball where you, where you're doing it smallest to largest by balance, mathematically isn't the most efficient way of doing it but it wasn't a math problem that got people into debt and so it's more of an emotional thing where so whenever you do the debt snowball and you attack that smallest one then you're able to experience the the victory over that first debt faster and so from the emotional perspective then it gives you that drive to to keep going and you can see progress because you know it's it's difficult to stick with something whenever you don't see results and and so the debt snowball just taps into that that behavioral perspective and 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 so that you can feel those victories and then as far as the snowball goes like that's the, like it's it's the emotional victories that kind of cut that snowball as much as anything yeah yeah i'm glad you said that um there's a phrase in there you said. I'm like, I'm glad he said it because I was getting ready to say it, and everybody's gonna think I'm like a puppet for Dave. Uh, oh. No, it's um, you know, it, it, if it if it was a math problem, you wouldn't be in debt any in the first place, right? Right. And so this is what I said in the first episode. What he says, and this is totally true, is it's only twenty percent head knowledge of knowing what you need to do. It's eighty percent behavioral. I mean, that, that's the thing. This is a behavioral change. Right. And so if you have a massive credit card bill debt that is, you know, several thousands of dollars, I mean, generally what I've seen on credit cards, they, if you're carrying a balance on it, you're looking at somewhere between, you know, 18 and, you know, close to 30% interest. Right. And so we're talking about attacking that first. If you, tr- if you try to chip away at that, you're going to lose motivation because it's going to take you a long time to get that paid off and you're more likely to quit. And there's actually a, I think it's a Northwestern university did a study on this and they found that doing the debt snowball rather than the debt avalanche um, was more effective. People were more likely to stay. And that's where you prioritize the smallest balance and attack that because 
as Dave would say, you need some wins under your belt. You need right. you need to see that this process is working to be able to stick with it. And so you need those little wins. And so that's what the the debt snowball does for you compared to what I would say the debt avalanche does. So right, yeah. Another way that I've heard I've heard it put, not specifically to this, but just from the behavioral perspective, is that if information is all that we needed, then we would all be billionaires with six pack abs. <laughs> so it's, it's more, more than just the head knowledge that gets us, that gets us to where we want to go. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, but again, uh, in the show notes, I'll put a link to the, that snowball form. It's pretty, pretty self-explanatory. It has some just instructions on there, but we're not talking about being in debt for, you know, years upon years. We want you to bear down and get intense. He, he, he talks about it as gazelle intense. How far are you willing to cut, you know, and it's getting, um, it's getting aggressive, attacking it with aggression and, and learning. Chris Hogan his his uh, one of his personalities, uh, says learning to hate debt, you know, right. and, um, and so, yeah, this isn't a five-year plan. This is a, you know, getting out of debt in, you know, a year, two years, three years, right. you know, depending on the size of it. So, yeah, another way that, that he puts it in the class is that you can wander into debt, but you can't wander out of debt. Yeah, there's no quick fix. There's no quick fix, baby. It's uh, once you're in, you're in and it's um, it's either selling things like, I think he says the number one answer on his, his show is sell the car, you know? Right. Um, but uh, it's, it's selling things and, you know, refinancing or doing balance transfers. It's going to save you maybe on interest, but it's, you still have the debt. You just moved it around. It's, right. it's, it's going to take time and, and you've got to, you've got to attack it. And it's, it's uh-huh. kind of you, how long do you want to do this? I mean, you can get intense and do, just about anything for a short period of time. Um, but uh, it's hard to stick with something like this for a long period of time. So getting intense and attacking it um, with it as much as you can is going to be the secret to, to getting out. So yep. anywho, well, awesome. I uh, appreciate you joining me on this episode. I, uh, I think I destroyed it again, went longer than, than, than I had planned, but Hey, it's, this is a good talk and important topic. Um, at this day and age, I, uh, I looked at the, uh, us debt calculator and the debt clock. Uh-huh. That's scary. Right. 26.7 trillion dollars. Right. Yeah. With, with it, with anything like that, it's just, you, you can't comprehend on that scale. And, and really, so like somebody like Patrick Mahomes, his contract, that's like stupid money. Like, uh-huh. What are you going to do with $500 million? Right. I mean, obviously, well, obviously the government's going to get their hand on it. And he also has his endorsement deals. And so, but it's like, that's, that's stupid money. <laughs> this is, this debt is just like stupid. Like you can't, it's, comprehending it is just it's beyond comprehension right yeah but just kind of to to that point it's one of those things where you know you you have to take a step back and just focus on what you can control 
And what you can control is your own household and what you do there. And so, and so, you know, if, if by this podcast or the FPU courses or whatever, if we, if you can spread that as much as possible, that each individual household does it, then you can start, you can start seeing some progress and making a dent, but it's not something that, you know, we're, <laughs> I don't think this podcast is going to, uh, going, going to fix that problem. What are you talking about? Joe Rogan better watch out. I'm coming right. for number one. Spotify <laughs> <laughs> calling. Uh, might be a while. So awesome. Well, uh, do you want to tell our listeners where they can find you? Um, yeah, sure. So um, probably the best way is just going to my website, which is javawealth.com. Um, and then I'm also on all the different social media platforms on LinkedIn and Facebook. Um, and Twitter, and I have a YouTube channel where I do a lot of a lot of short videos. So these short informational videos um, that where I just talk about different financial topics. Um, yeah, those are those are the main places to find me. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate you. Yeah, having me here. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, we'll we'll have to do it again. Okay. Thanks for listening to Personal Finance from the Hilltop. If you'd like more information about me, Kyle Hill, a certified financial planner, or Hilltop Financial Planning, you can visit hilltopfp.com, no dash. We continue to bring on new clients, so if you or someone you know are interested in discussing how we can help you find financial freedom, go to our website and click on Schedule a Call in the upper right-hand corner. We offer a free 30-minute introductory call. There is no sales pitch, just a conversation about what you're looking for and how we can help. For links and resources mentioned in the podcast, be sure to check out the show notes. Lastly, a very important disclaimer my attorneys that I do not have on retainer want me to mention. Everything on this podcast is my opinion or my guest's opinion and is not to be taken as investment advice because I'm not your financial advisor, but I could be, nor have I considered your personal situation as a fiduciary. This podcast is for educational purposes only. Hilltop Financial Planning LLC is a state registered investment advisor in the state of Missouri, but serves clients nationwide. Another episode of Personal Finance from the Hilltop in the books. Signing off from the Hilltop, I'm Kyle Hill.